Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New from the Australian Society of Anesthetists and welcome to our podcast. It's called Australian Anesthesia and it's where we talk about all things that are relevant to anesthesia in Australia. In this episode, I'm going through lingual nerve injuries. This is based on a report from the WebAirs database. WebAirs is an anesthesia incident reporting system, so a place where anesthetists can go and log their incidents. And it was developed in 2009 and something that the ASA is really proud to support. If you want to know more about the database, then please go back and listen to episode 54 of this podcast, where I chat with Professor Martin Colwick, who is the medical director of WebAirs and very instrumental to its development. WebAirs is overseen by the ANSTADAC committee, which stands for the Australian New Zealand Tripartite Anesthesia Data Committee. So this committee consists of representatives from the Australian Society of Anesthetists, that's us, the ASA, the college, as well as the New Zealand Society. Within that committee, there's the ANSADAC case report writing group, and it's with many thanks to that group that we have this paper. If you want to read this rather than listen to this as a podcast, you can do so by going to the June 2022 edition. So that's this month's edition of Australian Anesthetist. Australian Anesthetist is a magazine that's produced by the ASA. It's a coffee table style magazine, if you like. And ASA members, you should have already received a hard copy of that. Otherwise, if you're not an ASA member, you can find it online by visiting the ASA website, asa.org.au and looking under our publications section. While we're talking about this particular edition, I really encourage you to go and have a look at it. It's very impressive. The focus of the June 2022 edition of Australian Anesthetist is Doctors with Disability. And it's very timely this year, given that Dylan Alcott has been awarded Australian of the Year. And it's really in tribute to all the healthcare workers, particularly doctors who have faced at times incredible stigma in getting back to work and the people who have and continue to support them. I'll talk more about it at the end of the episode, but for now, let's get into lingual nerve injury. Okay, lingual nerve injuries. So the first thing I thought was that it's important to understand the anatomy because understanding that helps us understand how the lingual nerve can be damaged and also what symptoms might arise. The lingual nerve is a branch of the mandibular or third division of the trigeminal nerve. So just going top down, the trigeminal nerve is the fifth cranial nerve and the trigeminal nerve has three divisions, the ophthalmic, the maxillary and the mandibular nerve. So the lingual nerve comes off this third division, which is the mandibular nerve. This division, the mandibular nerve, exits the base of the skull through the foramen ovale and it enters the infratemporal fossa where it divides into the lingual nerve as well as the inferior alveolar nerve and the auriculotemporal nerve. We're focusing on the lingual nerve. The infratemporal fossa is somewhere where we don't go as anaesthetists. It's deep. It's deep to the mandible. It's just superficial to the lateral pterygoid plate and the muscles that attach there. And it's posterior to the maxillary sinus. So it's quite deep back there, just below the base of the skull. It also lies anterior to the carotid sheath, so it's real tiger territory. And it's somewhere where, as I said, we don't go, but our MaxFax colleagues, our ENT, our head and neck surgeons might be in this territory. Of more relevance to us is that the lingual nerve comes anteriorly along the jaw muscles and then runs along the inner surface of the mandible from about the level of the third molar or the wisdom teeth. It's running there just deep to the mucosa and it's along here that it's at risk of compression. It can also be put on the stretch when the tongue is protruded or elevated. So anything that causes mandibular atrophy or loss of teeth in that region 
may result in the lingual nerve lying in a more superficial position and therefore more prone to damage. So from there, just on that inner surface of the mandible, branches of the lingual nerve enter the tongue and it moves anteriorly to supply the sensation to the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. It also supplies sensation to the mucosa of the floor of the mouth and the mandibular gums, so the inner surface of the gums. In the infratemporal fossa, so that space that was very deep, the lingual nerve picks up fibres from the corda tympani, which actually come from the seventh nerve, the facial nerve. So these fibres transmit taste sensation from the anterior two-thirds of the tongue, and they also supply the parasympathetic fibres to the submandibular and sublingual salivary glands. So I hope by briefly outlining the anatomy of the lingual nerve, you can already start to understand how it might be damaged and also what symptoms might arise from damage to it. So I said before, it's vulnerable to stretch as well as compression. So patients with macroglossia, a big tongue, may be at increased risk of lingual nerve injury. And of course, the lingual nerve can be damaged when performing a local anesthesia block. So that might occur during Maxfax or head and neck surgery. And there's discussion in the surgical literature about various surgical techniques that they can use in order to reduce the likelihood of injury to this nerve. So focusing on some possible anesthesia-related mechanisms. So difficult laryngoscopy or anything that produces prolonged anterior mandibular displacement might contribute to stretching of the nerve. There can also be pressure from an oral airway device such as a Goodell or even a tube or LMA. There has been a case report of a lingual nerve injury in a patient who was intubated and then had an oropharyngeal airway inserted, so a Goodell, along with the endotracheal tube. So both the airway and the tube, not surprisingly, were left in situ until the end of the procedure. So in that case report, the patient developed reduced sensation on one side of the tip of the tongue, which fits with what we know about the lingual nerve supplying the anterior two-thirds of the tongue for sensation. And that thankfully resolved spontaneously over four weeks and the patient didn't have any other symptoms or signs. So moving on to symptoms and signs, what could they be? So as I've said before, the, the lingual nerve has sensory functions, but it also has some complex secretomotor functions. So damage to it can affect sensation to the anterior two-thirds of the tongue and the floor of the mouth. And as I said, the mandibular surfaces of the gums. The sensory changes can be complete, so anesthesia, partial, so hypoesthesia. There could be abnormal sensations, so paresthesias, or it can result in neuropathic pain, so dysesthesia. Because the lingual nerve also carries corda tympani fibres, that means taste can also be lost in that part of the tongue and there can also be decreased salivation. So this can result in changes to speech as well as drooling and tongue biting. And we would expect that the changes be unilateral and on the side of the injury. It doesn't cross over bilaterally, this nerve. If you were to examine the patient, you might see that there's atrophy of the papilla on that side of the tongue as well as signs that the patient is inadvertently biting their tongue, so signs of trauma. Now, management of lingual nerve injury depends very much on the etiology. If the damage has occurred during surgery, as I said, this is a nerve that head and neck, max fax, ENT surgeons might encounter more often than us. So if they witness damage during surgery, then they may opt for early microsurgical repair. From what I've read, the microsurgical repair may also be attempted later on down the track if the symptoms don't resolve spontaneously. Definitely by this stage, this patient needs to be referred to a specialist who can manage this. 
There are some conservative management options, so they include steroids, antidepressants and anticonvulsants, likely for the management of the neuropathic elements rather than saying that the patient is depressed or is likely to have seizures. And also psychotherapy can be useful as well. Most injuries, again going off the literature, recover within about three months. So how common is lingual nerve injury? Well, thankfully the injury is rare. From one case control study, it's estimated that lingual nerve injury in patients undergoing general anesthesia with an airway device has an estimated incidence of about 6.6 cases per 10,000 patients. So it is there on the rare side. In this case control study, they identified the risk factors as being head and neck surgery, patients who are young and patients who are of ASA physical status one to two, which is pretty much most patients who come for removal of their wisdom teeth which then makes it no surprise that overall the most common cause of lingual nerve injury is removal of those mandibular wisdom teeth. The estimated incidence of lingual nerve injury in these patients who are having those lower wisdom teeth removed is 0.02 to 2%. There seems to be quite a range and one study I found estimated that temporary nerve injury can occur in up to 37% of patients. There does seem to be a big range in this number, so definitely speak to an expert on that one. So coming back to WebAirs, what's been reported locally? So in the WebAirs database, which now has over 8,000 cases reported, there have been 16 reports of lingual nerve injury. Five of those were associated with a single lumen or first-generation LMA, and the remaining 11 were associated with a dual lumen or second-generation LMA, you know, the ones with the gastric port. Of those 16 that have been reported to the WebAirs database, there have been no permanent injuries. So one of the take-homes, I suppose, for us practically is this might be something to think about when consenting our patients for general anesthesia or sedation. You might want to specifically consent for this complication. For example, if your patient is a professional singer or a chef or sommelier or other profession where any of their symptoms might impact their work. One recent example of this is the famous Australian singer and actor Delta Goodrum, who I'm hoping I don't have to explain who she is who unfortunately had a lingual nerve injury following the removal of a salivary gland. So not anesthesia related, related to the surgery. But as you can imagine, for someone like her who is a professional singer and you know her voice is her work, this could be devastating. She shares her experience of her year-long rehabilitation on a really moving and generous YouTube video. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right. I hope you've enjoyed this update from WebAirs and don't forget, if you have any incidents, which I sincerely hope you don't, that you consider reporting them via WebAirs so that the rest of the anesthesia community in the region can learn from these incidents. As I said at the start, more details on WebAirs can be found in episode 54 of this podcast, that's episode 54 of this podcast, Australian Anesthesia, or by visiting the WebAirs website. And I also hope you do look at the rest of the June 2022 edition of Australian Anesthetist, as I mentioned at the start of the episode. Members, if you want to opt out of receiving a hard copy, you can certainly do that. And the best way to do that is to email us on asa at asa.org.au. As I mentioned, the June 2022 edition of Australian Anesthetist is a great issue and we've focused on the theme of working with disability or really the super ability to overcome physical impairment. I really want to celebrate and thank the contributors to this edition, in particular, Dr. Bruce Powell, an anaesthetist, Dr. Dinesh Palipana, who's been awarded an Order of Australia Medal, 
Dr. Blair Munford and Dr. Tracy Tay. I think the anesthesia community is better for having people like you in it. So thank you for sharing your experience with us in our humble coffee table style magazine. All right, until the next episode, I hope you and your patients are staying safe and well out there. This episode of the Australian Anesthesia Podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists, otherwise known as the ASA. More episodes can be found on the ASA website, asa at asa.org.au. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to receive the latest episodes. And of course, you're welcome to share them as widely as you wish. Please send any feedback to the ASA by emailing asa at asa.org.au. Music was by Mark Suss, and we hope you enjoyed listening.